he was 19 at the time, but he confided to me that when he was 15, uh, that a family member, my aunt specifically, molested him when he was 15. And he was really struggling with it, uh, guilt from it. It just really was eating him up. And uh, he was, you know, getting in a lot of trouble. He ended up getting kicked out of my dad's house because of the trouble he was getting into. And I, I offered to let him stay with me. And and in that time, I kind of really bonded with him. And he shared with me stories of, you know, hearing voices, uh, demons talking to him. Um, he just wanted to sleep all day. Um, and I didn't really know how to handle it. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And I was talking to a coworker at work about it. And my friend Rob and Rob told me, Hey, your brother sounds like he has what I have. I have paranoid schizophrenia. And do you mind if I just talk to him on the phone? Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. What's up? This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. Uh, if this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us this evening. Uh, we're going to start off here with, if you are watching this uh, this live stream and you like the, the stuff that I'm using, the uh, app or the program, it's called StreamYard. If you uh, like that, and you want to get one yourself for your show or anything that you do, uh, go ahead down in the description and check out the StreamYard affiliate link there. And actually, all of the links to everything that I'm doing will be available in the description, either on YouTube, Facebook, uh, wherever you're watching this at the podcast platforms. Once this thing actually uh, hits there, which should be tomorrow. Um and if you're watching on YouTube, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button in the corner and thumbs the video up, please. That will help me out tremendously. If you're watching on Facebook, uh, like and share this. Uh, we got a good episode for you this evening. Also, if you're listening on the podcast platforms like uh, iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, uh, Amazon Music, any of the major platforms, do me a favor, hit that subscribe uh, button and subscribe to the show. Uh, through the podcast platforms that helps me get further reach out there and rank a little bit higher on the platforms themselves. I got to do a shout out right now to Dr. Carmen Johnson and let's go ahead and roll this for her. She uh, donated the show a hundred bucks and just wanted to say thank you to her. We appreciate that here. Also, check her out on episode 97. If you look down below, you will see a signed petition uh, for her. If you go to episode 97, all of her links and everything that she's doing is available there. So go ahead and take a look over there for me, please. And uh, this podcast is actually a marketing leg of my nonprofit organization, which is called Nowhere to Go But Up, Inc. So anything that you donate to the show, and I believe if it's over 250 bucks, you will actually get a uh, 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 tax write-off. So this is connected to that as well. And the organization's called Nowhere to Go But Up, Incorporated, or Inc. Uh, also, too, let me give a shout out to... Uh, the places where I've been charting, and, and uh, it's been kind of interesting to follow that. Uh, Norway, I'm going to give a shout-out to my listeners in Norway. We're doing at uh, 195. We're ranked there. Uh, Japan, what's up, Japan? No, we're at 110. 
ranked there. Uh, New Zealand, I'd love to go to New Zealand. Uh, we're ranked at 39 there. And then uh, in Vietnam, ranked 35. So let me give a shout out to all those places, Norway, Japan, New Zealand, Vietnam. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the support and the listenership. And then uh, in actually society and culture in the United States, I'm ranked number 616. And then globally, I'm ranked number 844. So that's pretty good out of a million or 900,000 podcasts that are out there. Whatever that number is, it always keeps growing and changing. So uh, without further ado, let's get to our guest today, which is Nate Glover. And Nate is going to be talking to us about, uh, you know, some issues that he grew up with and has, has felt or dealt with, uh, his brother committing suicide, uh, being, uh, schizophrenic and dealing with mental illness. So we're going to talk to him about that. What's up, Nate? Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah. No, thanks for, uh, coming out and, uh, joining the show. Let me just get rid of that. So. Nate and I met through uh, a, a Facebook group called uh, VR Poker. Um, so it's a virtual reality Oculus Quest, or it's not the only one. It's just a virtual reality poker game. And I had this crazy idea that I wanted to do a podcast episode in that space virtually and record it as avatars. Um, and it's a cool idea, and I still want to do it. It just didn't work out the way that I wanted to. And, and so instead, he, he reached out and listened, started listening to the show and reached out to me and asked to be a guest. And so here we go. So let us let, let, let everybody know a little bit about you, Nate, and, uh, you know, uh, what what uh, what line of work you're in and, um, you know, what you want to talk about as far as, you know, your brother's death and mental health. Yeah, sure. So uh, yeah, I grew up uh, pretty, pretty normal pretty normal life growing up as a kid uh, uh, and in pretty normal teenage years. Uh, but as soon as I graduated high school is when things really kind of took a turn. Uh, I was 19 years old uh, helping a friend put a roof on a shed when I got a call that my my uh, stepbrother, who was 14 years old, had just been in an accident. Uh, he was riding a go kart with his girlfriend, and they were they were hit by a car, and she was killed instantly, and he was in a coma. And uh, so that was my first really tragedy to deal with. Uh, I remember going down to Parkland Hospital in Dallas, and just you know the waiting game while he was you know they were trying to relieve the pressure in his brain, and then you know his friends started to show up, and and I found myself kind of being a comfort to his friends and giving them support. Uh, even though I was, uh, it was pretty rough for me too, but it seemed like just natural for me to step into that role. And that was little did I know that that was going to be something that was to be pretty common going forward. Uh, several years later, um, in 2000, uh, 2005, uh, my youngest brother, he was going through a lot of uh, issues and he, he confided into me that when he was, he was 19 at the time, but he confided to me that when he was 15, uh, that a family member, uh, my aunt specifically molested him when he was 15. And he was really struggling with it, uh, guilt from it. Uh, it just really was eating him up. And, uh, he was, you know, getting in a lot of trouble. Uh, he would, he ended up getting kicked out of my dad's house because of the trouble he was getting into. And I, I offered to let him stay with me. And, and in that time, I kind of really bonded with him and he shared with me stories of, you know, hearing voices, uh, demons talking to him. Um, he just wanted to sleep all day. Um, and I didn't really know how to handle it. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And I was talking to a coworker at work about it. And my friend Rob and Rob told me, Hey, your brother sounds like he has what I have. I have paranoid schizophrenia. And do you mind if I just talk to him on the phone? And so I arranged for them to talk on the phone. And afterwards, Jason told me, he's like, Hey, I really liked talking to your friend. I really felt like he could relate to me. 
And I, I felt like I was making some progress with him. I tried to get him to go to HMR. Uh, the it was like uh, to get psychological treatment, but the problem is he thought everyone was out against him. Even you know the government was against him. I was against him. So there's no way in hell he was going to go take a pill prescribed to him by a government agency. It, it just wasn't going to happen. And while he was staying with me, his conditions just was deteriorated. And I remember. One day I picked him up from his job. He had a, he bust tables at a restaurant and he told me, man, I just felt like just killing myself. And I didn't know how to react to that. Uh, I reacted the wrong way. I reacted with anger, uh, because I was scared. And so, and the progress that I had made with him just kind of seemed like it started slipping at that point. And I ended up giving him ultimatum because I was concerned about him. I said, you know, Jason, you, I really need you to go get treatment if you want to continue staying with me. And uh, so he left. He went to go live with my grandmother. And uh, was it long after that when I got the call that he had committed suicide? He had hung himself in my grandmother's garage. And, you know, and I, the one thing that I really regret is how I reacted to him when he told me that, you know, he wanted to kill himself. I, I wish I would have just listened and just told him that I loved him and not tried to help fix his problems and just been there for him. And so that's a, a really big lesson that I learned in that. And I would really, you know, and I, at that point, I was like, going forward, I just want people that know someone that's going through that similar situation. Just let them know, you know, you're not going to fix their problems. Don't they don't want to hear you say you need to get help because that make you know, they don't want to think they're helpless. They just, the best you can do is just be there for them and love them and hug them. Uh, Cause they, good chances are they're probably not going to get the help that they need. Uh, unfortunately, when it's that bad. Uh, later that same, that was 2006, uh, January 18, 2006. And uh, later that year in December, my cousin, who was about my age, the last time I saw him was at Jason's funeral. He sent me an email that just said, it was just like one sentence about, you know, feeling down and depressed. And a few weeks, weeks later, I got the call that he died in his sleep. I don't, you know, I have some suspicion that it may have been more than that, just because I believe because of the stigma of suicide, I believe that, you know, his family may have been hiding effect, but you know, I don't know, but, uh, so that, that was how the year ended was with another, you know, tragic death, someone that I was close to. Uh, and then, uh, just a year ago, his brother, my other cousin committed suicide, uh, went to his dear lease and shot himself. He had just gotten married, had a kid on the way and, he just couldn't handle the stress between his, you know, his, uh, his wife and his mom, both, you know, being very possessive and it was just, he couldn't handle it. And another tragic thing, but one thing I found in all of those instances at my, at my brother's funeral, at my cousin's funeral, and even online when my other cousin passed is that I ended up finding myself in the role of comforting friends and just kind of stepping in there. And it, and in fact, after my brother's death, it was six months afterward, after, after that, that I realized I hadn't really done anything about my own grief. I'd been busy, you know, keeping my family comforted and uh, helping my family out that I hadn't addressed my own grief. And uh, so I joined a support group. And that was really helpful, just hearing other stories, uh, just being around other people that were going through the same thing that I was going going through. And leaving that gave me uh, enlightenment that I needed to do something to actively heal my wound. Um, the phrase, I've written a blog about time, a couple of blogs about time healing all wounds. It, you know, in essence, it does take time for a wound to heal, but time is not the healer. Uh, and with a with something that severe, you need to actively find things that will that help you heal. Uh, 
for me, it was the support group. It was writing. It was, uh, I joined Toastmasters and I, I gave several speeches on mental health, on suicide awareness and on grief and hoping that by helping others that I would also be treating my wound as well. So, um, all right. Well, I'm going to, first of all, sorry for all of your losses, man. It's got to be tough to have that many, uh, in a family in, in, you know, a short period of time like that. Um, one of the, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about within that. Um, one of them being the, uh, the sexual abuse. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't always have to be the opposite, uh, a man, you know, abusing right. a, a, a woman or a child. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people, sometimes they get that, that misconception when they, they think of, you know, child, uh, child abuse or sexual abuse, molestation, they think of it as uh, a man perpetrating that on a, a child or, or a female. Right. And, it goes both ways. It, you know, yeah. it doesn't always have to be that way. You know, I, I've heard of a lot of stories where, you know, um, a family member or an older woman has, has molested a, a younger, a younger man, uh, you know, under 18. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, you know, if it, they're underage or underage, it's, it's right. against the law. Yeah. Uh, and then the second part of that is the, you know, the, the difference between somebody, uh, who's like, I guess you would say normal and doesn't really suffer from severe mental health. Because I mean, I think that there's always times in, in people's lives when you have a down, down period, you know, where you yeah. get down and it's like, Oh man, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. And yeah. you know, you, you, yeah, got you, you lick your wounds for a little while, but you picked yourself back up and you dust yourself off and you keep going. I mean, that's what, you know, I, I would feel like that's what I do. And I would feel like, you know, I think I'm somewhat normal, I, right. whatever that, that, that means. But, um, you know, the difference is, is that, you know, people that suffer from with mental illnesses, whether, you know, it, it, whatever spectrum they're on, it, it's a, it's a constant with them. Right. You know, it's right. it, like, I've, I've, we were talking about this earlier and, and I've thought about killing myself. Yeah. It's gone through my head, but it also, it, it, as fast as it goes in, I'm like, Ooh, well, get out of there. No, 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 no. That's not an option. Right. You know, and the difference between, you know, someone that's struggling with mental illnesses is they are obsessing on that thought They're until they be, until they idolize it or idealize how, whatever the name that, that word is, but they just start like fantasizing about it. And then before you know it, you know, there it is it's done and and it's over and you know it's you don't you're like you said you don't know what to do you know when people are are struggling like that i mean a lot of times they won't even come out and say anything and even if you do know it's like what do you do you know it's hard to understand where you're coming from when nobody knows where you're coming from right and 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 it's yeah it's the the whole idea that you know, people think, well, oh, they're just bummed out or they're just, you know, it's just a phase. Well, you know, there's a big difference between being depressed and having depression. Uh, Like you said, it's constant. It's a, I mean, picture the lowest you've ever been, uh, the darkest you've been, the most impending doom feeling you've had. And picture that 24-7, you cannot escape it. Uh, Just imagine the the torture that would be, You, you know, you can't, you know, that's why a lot of times you just want to sleep all day because you cannot deal with it. And, and and that's where I came to terms with, uh, you know, the stage of grief of acceptance. That's the hardest for many people to get through uh, with suicide. For me, what helped me through that stage was really studying what he went through and understanding it and understanding that he was in physical pain the the mental illness is no different than a physical ailment. You know, we don't, we don't, there's no stigma for having cancer. You know, there's no shame in it, but my brother's disease was slowly killing him just like any cancer. Uh, and there's no cure. So to, so I do not, you know, I'd never really held any anger at him for doing what he did because I, I see it as 
no different than, as we were talking about earlier, on September 11th, the famous photo of the falling man jumping out, jumping out of the building because the flames were closing in. And I see no difference between the, the flames and my brother's brain were just as real as those flames on September 11th. And he really felt that he, it was the only way. And, um, yeah, sure. You know, medication may have helped him, but problem is he had schizophrenia. He was afraid of medicine. He thought he thought it would be government control or, and so, yeah, it just, that wasn't going to happen. Unfortunately. Yeah. That's too bad. So what, what, how long have you had your, uh, your blog, your your blog spot? So I wrote uh, my first blog uh, less than a year after Jason's suicide. And the title of the blog was why didn't I? And it, it focused on that moment when I picked him up from work and he told me that he felt like killing himself. And uh, it, Basically, it's why didn't, you know, what are all, everyone talks about when someone dies, all the things they could have done differently. And for me, it was just, why didn't I hug him? And and that, you know, and I I really, it was just a way for me to get those feelings inside, just, you know, on paper, it was therapeutic for me. And then I ended up writing uh, a few other things about uh, mental illness, fatherhood, you know, racial inequality, uh, just some things that, you know, spontaneously, I just really felt the need to write about. So I don't, I don't have that many. It's less than 10, but, and I haven't uh, done anything on there in a while, but I, you know, I do want to start writing again. So, uh, cause it, I do realize that it really did help me to, you know, put a lot of my thoughts to, to pen and paper. So. Yeah. That's kind of what I experienced when I started this podcast. It was, you know, talking to people, relating to them, my story, listening to theirs. It was some, it was kind of like a therapeutic thing, you know, that it turned into. And at, I I started realizing that I'm, this is probably helping me more than helping anybody else, you know? So I was like, well, just keep on, keep on rolling with it. And, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I would suggest it get back to the blog. You know, if yeah. you, like I said, if you want to start a podcast, let me know, I'll, I'll help you yeah. out. Um, you know, point you in the right direction. You know, cause a lot of people start wanting to start these things and I didn't realize it. I just thought, you know, I was, a, I listened to Joe Rogan and I was like, Oh, yeah. that looks easy. I can, <laughs> I'll go do that. I'll go grab myself a, a microphone and some other stuff, which I ended yeah. up overbuying everything. And, and half of the stuff that I started with, I don't even use anymore. Um, but it was like, oh, whoa, okay, yeah, that's not even easy because then you have to listen to yourself and you're like, God, I sound horrible. <laughs> like, did I really say that? Right, you know, and uh, but I mean, you you, you get through it, it's it's, yeah. it's 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 fun, man. It's a great outlet, it's you know, great to be you know, creative in some way. And I think as people, that's what we we're creative by by our instinctual nature. You know, we always either we're trying to build something, create something, um, also tear things down as well. Uh, (laughs) um, It's interesting what you said about how it was more helpful for you because, you know, for years, you know, people would always tell me, man, I don't know how you, you know, stayed strong through all this. And and I thought about it and I was like, I don't know either, you know, because I haven't really, you know, done much for myself. But then I realized that by me, supporting my peers and helping them through um, their issues, I think in a way it was treatment for myself and I didn't realize it, Yeah, uh, you know, cause I, uh, and I remember at, after, uh, you know, when my first, when my first cousin uh, died, you know, I went to the house and a lot of his friends showed up and it's one of those things where, everyone's standing around and no one knows what to say. No one knows what to do. But since I'd been in that situation before, I knew what to do. So I just went up to his friends and we just started talking about my cousin. We started telling stories about him and it had just really got rid of that awkwardness. It ended up being a, you know, a positive night as good as it could be. And even at the funeral, uh, one of my uncle's coworkers, you know, my uncle's a fireman, his coworker pulled me aside and said, Hey, I, you know, noticed 
what you did at the house the other day. And I just really appreciate it. And that was the moment when I realized that, I, you know, I think this is maybe what I was supposed to do. And uh, as we talked before, just recently, uh, I joined a peer support group at work. I work at a, at a large police station, uh, one of the biggest ones in the country. And, and uh, we ha- they have a program uh, for mental awareness for their officers. Cause I mean, you can imagine the kind of things that they see day in and day out. And even in my position in an admin role, I have the opportunity to see a lot of disturbing things. And uh, so they have a peer support group where if, you know, you see that an officer was on a call involving, you know, a shooting or a, you know, a child abuse call or anything that might be disturbing, you know, just call them, pull them aside, say, Hey, you know, how are you doing? Uh, just offer them support and, you know, and, and appoint uh, them to, uh, we have some mental health providers that have offered their services for us. And, uh, so I, I interviewed for that uh, a couple of weeks ago and I, I really think that this is, uh, yeah, it's, I think I have the tools for it. And I'm, um, I think it's important to have that peer support, uh, people that are, not necessarily professional help, but just someone just to listen and understand and just to be there for them. Yeah. I, th- I think yeah. the peer support is way is, I mean, there's also a need for, for mental health right. professionals. Yes. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, yeah. that that's oh. not needed at all. Um, but I, I do think, see that there is, is strength in, in, yeah. you know, being able to talk to, to your peers or people that may have been through something, you know, or, or, you know, I, I guess the, the example that I'm most familiar with is uh, therapeutic communities that are run by former students of those communities, not, not professionals, because a lot of those times, you know, you, you, it's it's hard for people on my end of it because I'm, I'm on the other side of, of what you do, uh, or I was not anymore. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we, we, we see, you know, police officers, correctional officers, you know, as, as the enemy and, you know, any kind of professional that comes at us, it's like, what what can you tell me that, that you learned from a book? Right. You know, you know, get, get out of here. It's a, it it doesn't, whatever you say is going to fall on deaf ears. Mm -hmm. And so the importance for us and in, in the, the population that, that I serve and, you know, I serve the whole population, but I mean, the people where I'd come from, um, you know, it's really impactful when somebody that's been through it is trying to walk you through it. Right. You know, and, you know, peer support is, and mentorship is, is I'm a really big firm believer in it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly where I feel about, you know, the whole, you know, the suicide awareness or some people say suicide prevention or it's, I, I, I've, I've been through it. I, I've been through the grief. I've been through the the not having the answers to the questions. I've been through all the stages of grief multiple times, and so I I I don't have the professional um, education on that, but I I feel like because I've been there that I can relate and um, hopefully can make a difference. A lot of times, it's just as simple as is being a soundboard for somebody yeah. and, and letting somebody vent or, or unload on you without the, without the, uh, the, the threat of, of um, judgment, you know? Right. Yeah. And when somebody knows that sometimes you just, all you have to do is just be an ear or, or a shoulder. You and know? don't, and don't try to fix their problems necessarily. Mm-hmm. A lot of times and that's where the, especially as men, we want to, you know, help, you know, try to fix their problems. You know, when my brother would tell me what was going on, I would tell him where he was wrong and what he needed to do. But that's that's not what he needed at the time. He just needed someone to listen and and just to let them know that you care about them. And, and that's the biggest lesson I've learned in life is don't necessarily try to fix everyone's problems. I I still do it. It's habit, but I I'm mindful of it now, and I I understand that that's not the best. Uh, <laughs> the best approach to it. Yeah. When being mindful too, I mean, that that's huge because once you learn about something and you, you realize where you're supposed to be, 
our, our, our natural tendencies tend to like override everything because it's a subconscious thing. Right. And so being mindful is really important. Like there's a lot of things that I'm learning that, that like, Oh yeah, I'm kind of this way. And I, I think I don't even notice there's some things that I do that I have right. to be mindful of to like not do that. Right. You know, I got, uh, th- there's one that got me in trouble the other day. It's I really don't even realize that like, if a pretty girl walks by, I'm like, I look. And even if I'm I'm with my my uh my girl, you know, it, it's just so second nature to me that I only realize that it, that it's that it's happening. Right. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll be a little bit more mindful of that. Yeah, that is really rude, and I apologize. And that was hard to do, man. That was hard to suck it up and and not try to make an excuse, right, for why that happened because I was embarrassed. You know, yeah. I was like, oh, man, yeah, that's, that's kind of a dick move. <laughs> um, but, you know, being mindful is definitely an important thing. Um, so do you want to pivot a little bit to a, a different subject? Sure. Um, and this one, we're going to talk about uh, virtual reality. Okay. And that because I, I'm not a very big video game player like i never had a nintendo i never had any of those other ones i may have had a wii at one point but it wasn't mine um i played it i didn't get involved in video games until virtual reality came out the first one i had was a vive pro i liked all the graphics with that it was pretty sick i mean especially in the vr poker room you like you see all of the stuff you know it's pretty limited with the uh the uh, quest unless you actually plug it into the um, into your computer. But I didn't like the vibe because you were, you were stuck to things. Like I was tethered. You had to set up all the, the tracking system and everything else. And it was just like so much to do. And unless you had a dedicated room for it, then you didn't have to worry about breaking all that down. Right. But when you're sharing your household with a, you know, a kid and a, and a, and a significant other having your stuff in the living room everywhere is not, really going to work out so i i the next one that i got was a uh a quest and i love the quest because you could just move around with it and it was it was so much more friendly then i started then i started playing it and how real it is unless somebody plays it they will not understand how real it is like real to the point when you're playing with the props and in, in, in the game, like from smoking the cigarettes in there, <laughs> I will catch myself exhaling. <laughs> like as if I, yeah. and I feel like I'm smoking, right? Like it is tricking my mind into thinking that I'm really smoking. Right. And so I was just like, man, I was, I was blown away by, by it. And then the fact that the, I mean, cause there's other games that you can play and they're really cool, but I think the VR poker one is the best one that I've played for social interaction because you right. get to talk to people all over the world yeah. and ask them, especially when COVID was breaking out. So, Hey, what's yeah. it like? What, what's happening over in your, your part of the woods? You know, there are some people that didn't want to talk about stuff like that, but you'll get involved in some games where people are willing to just be chatty oh, and, yeah. and, yeah. and, you know, be social and you know share things that are happening with each other's areas um how what's your experience with it so yeah very very similar so uh for the last few years uh me and my dad and a few friends we would meet every three months and actually play a 20 dollar cash poker game it was kind of a guy's night out it was therapy it was just you know it's nothing serious just something fun to do and it was a good stress relief uh, night, but, uh, you know, obviously when COVID hit, that all stopped. And I had, I'd had a quest, I've had a quest for a couple of years, but, uh, yeah, last year I really started playing poker even more. Uh, and it, it's just the, exactly what you said. I remember sitting at a table one time and there were eight of us at the table and all eight of us were, were from a different country. <laughs> I thought that was just so amazing. It was France, Germany. Italy, Portugal, Brazil. It was so, yeah, just, uh, and, and everybody was talking, uh, in English. So we had, you know, really neat conversations. It's, uh, we have had a lot of conversations about COVID and how, you know, other countries are, uh, 
dealing with it. Uh, I remember talking to people in Australia during the wildfire wildfires that they had. Um, so yeah, very uh, similar issue. I just, and unfortunately, though, I think that that VR is still a niche market. Um, I don't, I don't really see it catching on as much as you know we would hope it would, just because I think a lot of people now like to be. You know, they like to have their phone out when they're gaming or they like to be, you know, kind of aware of what's going on. And, you know, when you have that headset headset on, you there's someone could break into your house and you wouldn't even know it. <laughs> like you, you're totally in another place. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not something you want to be playing when you have your kids around. That's for sure. Like if, if, if no one else is around and yeah. it's just you and your kid, you don't want to be playing it because you're moving your arms around. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you could have a bad accident, smack them on the side of the head or something, man. But uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching. I was. Did you ever see? Did you see that one? Are, are you in the Oculus one, too, or just the VR poker? Oh yeah, no, I'm in. A, yeah, I'm in that group as well. So yeah. did you? Did you see the that one video where they put it on the kid and it's a and it's a uh, like a, a what are those things called that uh, the the undead uh, zombies the zombie shooter game? Yeah. yeah. So they put it on their kid, and it was a little little kid. Like I'm gonna say, probably two and a half, three years old. And he yeah. literally started screaming, yeah. ah, 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 <laughs> threw it down, ran, ran right into the, went to the wall and bounced back. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> yeah, poor kid, man. Yeah, I've actually spent some time looking at several of those, of the VR videos. Uh, one of my favorites is a guy was doing a demo at a mall and it was a climbing game. So he's got his virtual reality on, he's climbing, and he literally falls flat on his face. <laughs> But that's weird, you know, especially when you first start playing VR, if you're in there for a couple hours and you take it off, it's you're like, whoa, where am I? Because it, you know, you're right. It's, it can be very, even though the graphics are not great, there's still some sense of realness to it because you're you're immersed, you're in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and you're, it's you're fascinating. Hand. You're still right. moving your hands. You can see right. hands and you're moving yeah. hands. So yeah. it's like, okay, yeah, this feels like I'm really doing it. You know, you've got right. the the props in the game, you're shooting stuff, you're you're yeah. fist bumping people and you and it vibrates. Yeah. And it's it really it really feels real to me. To the point where I think that they're going to be using this at some point, because I think it would be excellent for um training. Oh yeah. Training people yeah. to do repetitive motions. You yeah. know what I mean? Is if you're doing it like maybe in a warehouse or on an assembly line or or something, you know, to get training on, or it it, it could be anything. Mil- mil- military training or any kind of special ops where you have to simulate a, something that you would not be able to simulate in real life, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Because yeah, even on the the shooting games that I play, when you, for example, when you reload a gun, you have to physically, you know, pull the the magazine off, put another magazine on. And pull back the slide is it's insane. It's yeah, that's I was like, that's a lot to just reload a gun, and I'm just used to hitting a button to reload. Yeah, I'm not very yeah. good at those first person shooter <laughs> games. Yeah. Uh, I, I bought one called Onward, yeah, and it was like I get I get smoked super fast, yeah, and I'm just it's no fun when they when they kill you that quick. <laughs> that's why I was yeah. never really that's why I was never really into video games because all of my like relatives would have them and I'd go and yeah. play and and I sucked and yeah. so it was like they were really good and so they would just kill me quick and it's you know, like dude this is fun for you but it's not fun for me I'm like right. I don't I'm not play this, this game no more yeah so how uh, how old is your 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 how many kids do you got I have two boys uh, they're eight and four years old. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I've got a I've got a three and a half year old. She, okay. uh, a little over three and a half now, but um, definitely, uh, I, it, cha- it changed my life. I'll say that much. Yeah. Yeah. It it is, and I uh, I even one one of my blogs was about kind of my experience of uh, having a kid and just kind of realizing, you know, you don't. There's no training manual for it. You, <laughs> and so I what I did is I you know I. I went online actually and I typed in uh, 10 steps to being a great good dad or whatever. And, uh, and I found all these articles on it, but I was like, I, you know, I just want to corner it down to, you know, three or four, three or four really good things. So I, I sent my dad a list, uh, cause I, uh, my dad is a role model of mine. I, 
you know, I thought he was a great father. So, uh, and uh, he respects his dad as well. So I sent him the list of 10 things. I said, hey, just pick out four, the most four important ones. And so he picked out four that he said that his father was to him. And it was, uh, let's see if I can remember all four now. <laughs> it was being supportive, uh, unconditional love, <laughs> unconditional love, um, uh, so I'm blanking out now, <laughs> but, but but it was what's funny is the four things that he picked were also the same four things that I admired in my dad as well, and and uh, and it's just about a quality quality time was the other one, and and um, and I just think and so when I posted that blog, I got I was expecting to get all these responses about oh wow you know I can totally relate yet, but instead the responses I got were yeah. I, my dad was old school. Yeah, I can't really relate. Or hey, I got a lot of people saying, yeah, I had old school parents. And I realized that, you know, my granddad, you know, probably broke the mold in a time where it was normal to be that old school, hard, you know, father. And and I think it's I, – I think I see that changing uh, now. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's just real important just to, um, you know, to really be involved in this, you know, to spend time with them. And support them no matter what, um, you know, what, uh, if, <laughs> or, uh, whatever route that they want to take, even it's, you know, you, a lot of parents want to re, you know, relive their childhood through their kids. I mean, like I played sports when I was a kid. My, my oldest son is not really into sports at all. Uh, so I, you know, I realized I'm probably not going to be able to coach baseball, uh, with him, but, whatever he's into, I want to, you know, I want to learn it. I want to be, you know, all about it. And, uh, I think that's hard for some parents for some reason, but, um, and then the unconditional love, uh, that one really gets me because I have friends whose parents have disowned them, uh, for, I have one friend went to high school with, uh, he's transgender. His parents have disowned him. I have another friend who, um, was disowned because he he's no longer um, a Christian. And I, I just, I can't understand that. I don't, I cannot understand how a parent could not have unconditional love for their own child. It it's just, it blows my mind. I, I don't understand it. What's well, the rules, right? I yeah. mean, it's like, dude, the, those are yours. Yeah. You raised them, you know, yeah. and, and the, the that's not an option. I mean, even, uh, even if, even if, you know, if I had a son and, and he went to jail or prison or something, you know, it's, it's still, I mean, you, you have some responsibility in how they turn out, you know, and yeah. not all the time. I mean, I guess there's yeah. some, some things that you can are out of your control, but I mean, yeah, those are the rules, man. Those are your kids. And, you should love them and, and, you know, throughout whatever it is that they're going through. I have a trans sibling um, and that was difficult, you know, yeah. but still my family, right. You know, it's still, it's still the same person that I grew up with, just different now. Right. You know, and, and I may not understand it and it, and it's not for me to understand, you know, the only, my only job is, is, is to, to support my family member in, in the best way that I know, I know how. Right. You know? And not, you know, judge, you know, if it makes you happy and, and that, and you feel like you're a whole person now because of, you know, that you, you are where you are, then, you know, the more power to you. You know, at, at the end of the day, you just want people to be happy, right? Happy, healthy right. and prospering. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I'm, you know, and I have another brother who has probably has a more similar background as you do, uh, and and he, and he still does. But you know, I always think if he didn't have a family that loved him and cared him, you know, my you know my dad, you know, help him out when he needs help. And if he didn't have that, uh, he he would have been homeless a long time ago. And I doubt you know it's a good chance that he wouldn't be alive right now. And and so even with all the things that he's done, you know, my my parents are still very accepting of him and, and love him. And, um, it, yeah, I just, it just totally blows my mind. Uh, that's when a parent can just say, you know what? I have nothing to do with you because you're 
because you're gay or because you believe in this or because you've done this crime. That that gets me. It's to a level that I just don't understand. Yeah, my dad, my dad did. My mom has always been there for me, but my dad, um, you know, my whole father's side of the family are police officers. So, oh, wow. Okay. um, It was, you know, when I was going through my stuff, you know, there was a point where he's just like, ah, wash my hands of you. And, you know, 15, I think it was 15, 15 or 16 years went by. And maybe five years after I got out, uh, I guess he was looking through um, some. Facebook stuff found me on Facebook and saw that my life was going well and yeah. reached, reached back out and said, okay, well, you know, it looks like you're fixed. Um, you know, mm. yeah. so, I mean, irregardless of how I feel about it, I wasn't, I, I would much rather have my dad in my life than have to, because if I was going to make a big deal about it, then it probably would have pushed him the other way. Right. And so I just, you know, I made my peace with it and, you know, I feel the way that I feel about it, but I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's not worth not having that relationship anymore right? to to get the satisfaction of saying you were wrong and I need you to admit that. Right. You know, and I just, I don't, I don't need that. You know, I'm I'm cool. You know, I'm, I'm cool with it. You know, I, I get it. Um, and you know, let's just move on with it. Uh, So, uh, so here's one thing also too, we got a lot of similarities in our life because we're both in Toastmasters. Right. Yes. I, I, I forgot about that, that little fact. Um, Yeah. That that is Toastmasters completely uh, changed before I joined Toastmasters. There was no way in hell I could even do I would have meetings with my team at work of eight people that I knew and I could barely do it without my knees shaking or being nervous, just a daily, you know, brief in the morning. Uh, or if I got pulled over by an officer, even though I wasn't doing anything wrong, I would be extremely nervous to where they would think I was hiding something. It would, I would always end up getting my vehicle searched because they just swore <laughs> I was hiding something. <laughs> and, and uh, I could even phone calls at work, conference calls. I would just the whole time I would just be saying, please don't call my name. Please don't call my name. Uh, there would be no way in hell that I would be having this conversation now, you know, five years ago. Uh, but just the repetitiveness of it, maybe, and the support of others that are not judging you, they're they're helping you, uh, the practice, it it. Just amazing how quickly that I was able to just go up and give speeches without being extremely nervous. And I ended up uh, within a year, I won a local contest, got second place in the in the uh, next level. And then last year I won the local and won the next level. <laughs> so uh, and I, it's just something that I would never even imagine a few years ago. So, yeah, I uh, I think the Toastmasters is a great program for speaking, uh, for leadership training as well. And it's not that I'm not doing a commercial for them, but Mm -hmm. the prize is insane. It's, you know, it's hardly any money at all compared to like a, you know, a Carnegie um, program. But the biggest thing I learned in Toastmasters was more than speaking was listening. Uh, Because when you're in a Toastmasters meeting, only one person speaking and the other 15, 20 people are listening and you're, you're having to, you know, focus on what they're saying and cause there might be questions at the end of it. And so I think, you know, it really helped me be a better active listener. And that's, and, uh, and I, you know, it helped me realize that communication listening is one of the biggest parts. So, yeah, yeah. I used to, I, I, I experienced that as well. Uh, I remember yeah. when, when I would be in a conversation and I would, somebody would, it's like I'm thinking about what I'm what I want to say before they've even stopped talking. Like I'm trying right. to figure yeah. out where I'm going to fit into the conversation, mm-hmm. which you're not listening. Right. You're 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 trying to strategize when you're you're going to say what you're going to say, how you're going to say it versus just listen, pause, respond. You know, uh, I said a lot of ums and ahs and all of these things before. And I realized, I've realized it because when you have a podcast and you have to go back and edit your stuff, 
I would hear all of the mouth noises. I would hear all of the dumb phrases that, that I don't like, like, you know what yeah. I mean, or right. like, or this. It's like, so every, and everybody has one. Everybody has like their little go-to thing that they, that they say, right. uh, there's, you know, uh, there's, oh, there's this one. So I said this to say that. I right. hear that a lot. I hear um, there's just so many that I hear when I just go back and listen. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny because in Toastmasters, they're tallying all that up. Right. So at the end of the meeting, they're like, Nate, you had five ums, three so's. Two, so you really become aware aware of it, and especially when you're listening. And now, you know, it's gotten to the point where I'm sure you can relate. I can't even watch someone speak on TV without evaluating their speech. You know, the president might be on stage and I'm counting all the ums, the ohs. <laughs> but politicians yeah. are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> they are the worst. I just yeah. I just posted something on my wall on Facebook with Nancy Pelosi right. doing something. And it was like, Are you kidding me? It's like, shouldn't you at least, if nothing else, if you're going to be addressing the country, right. shouldn't you at least be a decent speaker <laughs> and, and not sound like a drunk teacher? <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah i definitely agree i think toastmasters for the money and and the cost and what you get out of it and the, the connections that i've made through it right yeah. i've made a lot of connections locally you know with certain things you know with real estate like i'm a, a licensed drone pilot uh I've, i'm a painter too you know so i was i did residential painting for a long time and before i got in all kinds of trouble and, uh, you know, so, I mean, there's definitely a lot of opportunities that I've gotten just from, from being in there. So mm -hmm. I, I couldn't, their competitions are happening, uh, actually pretty soon. Right. And I wasn't there. I did, I haven't finished two of the pathways yet. So I have, I have to, uh, I'm not, I'm not eligible. Oh, I don't okay. think, I don't, I don't think I would have anyways. You You don't think you would have? Competed? I, no, no, I, I wouldn't have competed yet just because I don't feel like I've been in long enough. No, I mean, no, I would, I had not been in that long on my first one. Uh, no, I think it's, and it's so the, you know, the local contest is pretty, that's not that bad because it's the same people that you speak in front of weekly or, or biweekly anyway. But when I went to the, the district meeting, it, it was intimidating because you had, People traveling from all over the country uh, to, to uh, in there, and you had oh, it it, it was definitely nerve wracking. But again, that was also you know it was a good experience. Uh, but yeah, it, yeah, it was intense. That's cool. Well, I'm hopefully you know after I get mine done and next year I can yeah. uh, I can do it. I just I, I I would feel comfortable if I'd waited a year still. Right. Um, so oh, we're going to pivot one more time because there's one thing I want to cover and we're at about 52 minutes here, but you have actually taken uh, the vaccine. Yes. You've taken the first dose and you just recently took the second dose. Which one was it? The Moderna or the, do you know which one it was? It was? Yeah, it was the Moderna. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, I had the opportunity uh, pretty early on uh, because, you know, they were, the first responders um, in fire, they were getting police and fire were getting uh, a shot at it. And since I have interactions with the public, you know, they said, you know, I could go get that the vaccination as well uh, early on. So we got the first dose and it was I mean, it was no different than, you know, flu shot. I had some soreness in my arm. And uh, uh, but the second dose I got a couple of days ago, then uh Everyone's like, oh, you're going to have, you know, horrible symptoms. It's going to be bad. If I was fine uh, that day, same thing, sore arm. Uh, but the next morning I, I woke up with headache, pressure, cold chills the whole day. I was miserable the whole day. Ended up having a fever. Uh, so, yeah, it was one day of being miserable. But if you know, if it's going to prevent me from getting COVID, then I, you know, I think that that's a, uh, a fair trade-off. So. Yeah. I'm uh we're probably in different camps. <laughs> right. Um, You know, I, I'm personally, I, I listen to, I follow a lot of different um, alternative media stuff. I follow a lot of the doctors that got banned off of uh, social media. Remember the frontline doctors that came oh, yeah. out? Yeah. Um, I follow her 
and listen to uh, Dr. Simone. I can't remember what her last name is, but I mean, she's actually, and I didn't realize this, but she's a, 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 a sort of a physician, uh, an emergency room physician, but she's also a lawyer. And I mean, everything that, that, that she's talking about and everything I saw on, on their website and everything else, it, uh, it concerned me. And I didn't feel like I, I, I don't feel like I want to be a part of that early adopting group that, you know, you, of course, you didn't have a choice. It, it just tied to your work. You had to, right? Or was it voluntary? No, I, I didn't have to. Okay. Uh, but, but, you know, I chose to because, uh, you know, I have, uh, you know, my father in law has COPD. And so, you know, if I were to get COVID and then if, you know, my wife got it and she, when she was visiting her parents, if he got it, I mean, it, I mean, it, it, it would, it would not be a good thing if he got it. So for me, it was the responsible thing to do is to get the vaccine. And, um, and I've just seen, and, you know, in my line of work, I see, uh, the, how many calls come over of, you know, people that, are dying and they have, you know, have COVID. So it, it, it's hit home to me. My dad had a really, had a really good friend that he worked with, uh, died from COVID. We had a, uh, someone at the police station that I work at, uh, he was in his late thirties. He, he passed away. Uh, so, you know, I think I really, I understand the realness of it. And I, you know, and I, I trust the science of it. I, you know, and, I remember when those frontline doctors came out and I thing is, is you had, you know, these very small handful of, of scientists going against what the science community is saying. So I, I don't know how to put stock into what they're saying without any, without evidence. It was all, um, you know, I'm going to go with the majority of, of the science when it comes to that. Uh, well, yeah, I definitely agree that yeah. both, both, you know, I didn't understand either that, okay, well, how could one side say one thing and the other side say the other thing? Right. And so it could go both directions though. You know what I mean? It could be, you know, I, I don't know, man, there's just a lot of crazy stuff going on about it. Like I'm not, I'm not here to shame anybody. You know, right. if you, if that's what you feel that you wanted to do and, and that's the best decision for you and your family through your own, you know, uh, whatever that is, uh, research and the things that you're right. listening to and you're following then by all means, that's, you know, more power to you. And I think that everybody should, should, have that kind of same attitude, you know, it's yeah. like, look, you know, it's, it's your body, it's your choice until maybe they make it not your choice. Hopefully that doesn't get to that and enough people, you know, take it, you know, and, and adopt it early. I'm not going to adopt it early. I'm going to wait for, you know, at least, you know, uh, a while down the road and, yeah. and, and see, you know, because I just, there's, you know, things that I've, read and stuff that just it just makes me not i don't i don't i don't trust the government yeah. so and I, and I can understand that especially when it was developed so quickly um you know this, it did not go through the normal processes that we normally go through to develop a vaccine um so no i you know i understand the the uh, hesitation on it for sure um, yeah i mean it is what it is right <laughs> yeah there's going to be some that do and some that don't. And, you right. know, you're, and if you want to, if you're one of these people like me who wants to stop the divide in society on, on no matter what it is, because right. it's like every, every corner we turn these days, it's, uh, you know, something that's going to divide us, you know, with the, right. with the masks and it was the vaccine and it's the right and the left. And it's, there's yeah. always something that, that puts us making, uh, making us like go against each other. And, you know, it's, <sighs> Yeah, that's that's one of my things is I, I really get frustrated with the whole, especially in the political world, the demonizing of someone who has a different opinion than you. And I think that's and a lot of it comes down to communication. We're not listening to the other side. We're not trying to see their perspective. Uh, you know, like right now we had a talk about the vaccine and you heard my side. I heard, heard your side and, and we we get each other. But they, a lot of people don't want to do that. They just want to demonize. And, you know, oh, the people that aren't wearing masks, they're, they're, um, selfish and they're horrible or, you know, or the Republicans are bigots and the leftists are socialists, communists. You know, it's, 
the, all these keywords and just the whole demonizing. And when that's what I always tell people is that we're all the same. We just have different views. You know, the, the, uh, there's a saying that I saw online that I've kind of adopted is the left and the right wing are part of the same bird. You know, it, uh, the fact that we can have different opinions and express them freely is what's so great about, you know, our country. Uh, if we all thought the same way, there would never be change. No. So, you know, so I, I really embrace the fact that we have different opinions. Um, and I, I hate just the demonizing of, of the other, you know, of someone who does not agree with you. I think it's more important to sit down and have conversations about it. Yeah. Cause when you silence yeah. people and you take away their voice and their ability to, to give their opinion or their perspective. Yeah. I mean, how do you combat bad speech? You do it with better speech. Right. You know, and you give everybody a chance to hear because if somebody's out there, you know, talking nonsense, you give them enough time to talk nonsense and people are going to go, oh, yeah, I don't, yeah, screw that. That's definitely not the direction I want to go. And they'll, they'll go to the better, the better idea. I mean, it's kind of like a free market. You know, if, if something's meant to succeed, it's going to succeed. And, and that that's not going to succeed will fail. And, and the, and, you know, whatever else will come into its place. That's a free market, right? right? It's, it's, you know, it just, it works itself out, you know, and you let the, you let the, you know, the public be the, be the deciding factors, you know, cause if somebody likes something, they're going to, they're going to go to it. And if they don't, they won't, you know, the market will tell you if you're good or right. bad. Yeah. You know? And we haven't had that in a long time, you know, we're living. We're living in a little bit of a socialist. Uh, well, it's, it's socialist for the for the rich, or socialism. Socialism for the, for the rich when they're getting bailed yeah. out. You know when. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. When the when the billionaires are not allowed to to fail, and the government bails them out. I mean, that's that's socialism, isn't it? I mean, if you're on welfare, that's socialism, right? Right. Because right. you. You know, you, it's the government not allowing you to fail by giving you money right. and support and everything else. Well, it's, right. it goes the same, it goes the same way oh, when, yeah. they, when they do it yeah. for the, for the billionaires. Yeah. And I think it's really funny with this whole, this whole thing that just came up with the, uh, the GameStop, how, how it's like, it's all, it's almost it, to me, it, 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 it reminds me of, like an abusive person that's trying to hide the fact that they're an abusive person. Right. And so when you're, when they were out with their significant other, you know, they're, they're in front of the public and they're trying, trying really hard not to be that, that asshole and, and say the thing, you know what I mean? Or, you know, tell, tell their wife to shut up or, or just be rude in front of people. Right. And, but to me, it was like, it was sort of like that and they, they got caught slipping because when they started bleeding out billions, they started screaming and they outed themselves and halted the trading, you know, made some calls and halted everything right. and stopped the bleeding. What? Yeah. You know what I mean? You just pulled the curtain back, man. Right. You know, we see, we just saw who the wizard was. This is, this is what should happen in a free market. Yeah. The, the, the little man should be able to do the same exact thing as, as uh, the hedge funds. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so, and so to me, that was like, you know, uh, an abusive person getting caught in front of everybody going, you know, like he's like trying to chastise his wife. What did you, you fucking, and all of a sudden he didn't realize that everybody's watching him. It's like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I, I, it's going to be interesting for sure to see where this all goes. Uh, you know, as at the same time as as it's fun to see, you know the the hedge funds fail. It, it, you know, I've got four hundred one k. I don't want the stock market market to completely fail, but this is definitely exposed uh, exposed it as a system that is is very flawed, and, and it's not. Um, there's some issues if, if people can sell stock that they don't own by short selling, uh, you know, you in no other, no other aspect in life. Can you sell something that you don't own? 
You know, it, yeah. it doesn't, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. But yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're yeah. at about an hour and yeah. we've covered quite a bit uh, in this conversation. So if you want to follow uh, Nate, we've got his uh, Instagram or not Instagram, his Twitter handle there. Um, I also had up the blog post that uh, he does as well. And yeah, if you got anything else that you want to plug, go ahead and do that now. Otherwise, uh, you know, we can we can we can roll this out. No, that that's that's about it, man. I really appreciate you uh, having me. It's been it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thanks, man. I I appreciate it. I appreciate your honesty and your openness and sharing your story with uh, myself and the listeners and everybody else. Um, and also too, if you're out there and you're listening right now still, and you, uh, I need you to subscribe, 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 you know, on whatever platform you're on, that would really help me out. Um, and also too, if you want to connect with the show, go ahead and catch the link tree. And and that's actually available in the show notes and everywhere else that I'm available is in, it'll be in the show notes on the podcast platforms and it'll be in the descriptions on YouTube and Facebook. So uh, I guess with that being said, we're out of here. All right. All right. Good night. All right. Good night, brother. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.